Welcome to the 7 Innings Podcast. We have a great show in store. Uh, very special guests, Lisa Fernandez and Stacy Newman-Denise are going to be joining us on the program. Uh, in-depth interviews with those two coming up. We've got some news uh, developing, too, from uh, both the coaching ranks and a very busy transfer portal. Beth Mowens, Michelle Smith, Holly Rowe, Amanda Scarborough, Jess Mendoza, Jen Schroeder, uh, we've got uh, J-Mac, we've got uh, uh, Vegas Vicky, we've got Kim the PR superstar, and Bailey also on board with us. A lot of folks behind the scenes helping us out. Let's talk uh, coaches. Uh, there's still an opening right now at Cal as we are taping, but there has been a move in the SEC as Jamie Traxel leaves Minnesota to head down to Ole Miss. So, Jen Schroeder, I know you've been keeping an eye on this. This is this is two coaches now in three years that are up and out of Minneapolis and a big get for the Southeastern Conference here. Yeah, you know, the SEC is obviously one of the most dominant conferences in all of college softball. A lot will say that it's the most dominant one. Um, but I think Jamie Traxel being able to move to the SEC is a great move for her. I'm really excited to see what she's going to do. I'm interested to see how her personality fits into the current culture of Ole Miss softball. That's one thing that I'll, I'll be tracking in the next year or so. And then, of course, what's on everyone's mind is, will Amber Pfizer follow her? Will Natalie Den Hartog follow her? Who will go with her, or will she start fresh with just Ole Miss? Obviously, they've had some transfers depart with their pitcher moving to Texas, so they do need an arm in the circle. So I'm interested to see what's going to happen now that they have a coach. Amanda? You're muted. Yeah, and uh, Jamie's, you know, she, she's been a coach that just has continually proven herself at each of the stops that she stopped at. And ironically, everywhere that she's been has been a freezing place from North Dakota State, where she was at for like 17 or 20 years, I believe. And then she had a quick stint at Iowa State before she went to Minnesota. So she's been at all these cold places and finally gets to go to the SEC. But what I was hearing um, and showing reports of, too, is that she got a pretty significant pay raise to go from Minnesota to the SEC. Well, and Amanda, I think what's really interesting about this is that the Gophers, okay, Minnesota, her contract was up this year at the end of May. They only offered her a one-year extension contract. If they would have offered her two, three years, there's a good chance she would have stayed. So for me, it was kind of surprising that Minnesota didn't make more of a commitment to her. And kudos for making that jump. Absolutely. You've got to go and um, take care of business where you feel like you're wanted and offered offered a contract. So I, I think she's going to do a great job at Ole Miss. Yeah, I, I'm excited just to see what she does with that program. I mean, that was a program that I felt like was really building success, has a lot of good players, had a couple transfer out, but as we're seeing, is so many, I mean, there's just a plethora now of players to get through that transfer portal. And I feel like Ole Miss is a destination for a lot of players to be able to play down in that SEC conference, to be able to be on television, to be able to get seen. Um, so what she's going to be able to do with that program, I mean, it's tough because there's so many great teams, but Ole Miss is right there on the cusp of really breaking through and being one of the top teams in that conference. Well, one of the other things that I think is a factor here that I don't know if many of us have considered is 
with this current pandemic and college football being in jeopardy, I think every athletic department's budget in America is going to shrink dramatically. Mm-hmm. We've already seen the payout from the canceled NCAA tournament go from $600 million to $225 million from the NCAA. That was money that schools were counting on in their athletic department budgets that is not going to be there. And so I understand, you know, Minnesota is one of those schools where I'm sure they are going to really have to tighten their belt. In the Big Ten, their football team is getting better and is good under P.J. Fleck. But I think we all know that football impacts athletic department budgets so greatly that you're looking at going to the SEC where they just got their TV contract payout of 46 or over $45 million this spring. And so the money is just greater in the SEC. Let's just be honest. That is a real factor and um, I, I've heard talk that, you know, they're going to maybe start football if they can. There's there's going to be all kinds of things that are impacted with this pandemic. But I do think salaries and athletic department budgets is a huge one. And that's one reason why she could go to the SEC where the budget may be bigger. Ole Miss, two Supers in the last four years. Um, they uh, will look to grow on that. Minnesota, of course, was a World Series team last year. And the uh, the other opening, so now we got Minnesota open. You also have Cal open. That's a former national championship program. What do we think of those two jobs? You know, I think Cal is actually a, a, a more decent job than I thought two weeks ago. And that's just from conversations that I've been having with committee members. They're getting a brand new field in two years. It's confirmed. They're breaking ground this year. So what's interesting is, Whoever does get that coaching job their first year, they'll play non-Pac-12 games at St. Mary's and then Pac-12 home games at Stanford. So that'll be a little bit of an adjustment. But I know, Jess, I know. (laughs) But they will have a new field. And uh, apparently from committee members, the starting salary is is much more significant than where I was thinking at. It's it's over that 200,000 range, which for the Pac-12, that's that's good money. That's a lot more than Traxel was making at Minnesota. So I'm interested to see who will get that job. Jen, then I'm, I'm proud that Cal is finally stepping up that because they have been in a not great place for a very long time. And I know I've wasted this in the past, but even after they won the national championship back in 2002, and they still didn't have a field or a stadium, and this is going on for decades, they could even host they could even have enough crowds. I remember doing a game there on a picnic table, a television game, and it started to rain, and our thing started sparking, so we had to complete. We were on a picnic table doing a softball game. Sorry, I get I get bitter because Cal is such a great location. It's right. in a well. It's a desirable place, but Diane and I fought that battle for so long just to be able to get facilities, support. I mean, we saw what happened with the baseball program and what they had to do just to be able, it was eliminated. They had to get it back and fundraise, almost like, like you would do when you're 10 years old and going around, you know, collecting candy books. That's what the baseball program had to do. So to hear that they're doing it, at least starting off right now, right, getting the facility finally 20 years later, no offense, but, and then now that's my biggest thing is paying the coaches what they deserve. I mean, this is a huge college, that a huge university that should be back at the World Series every single year. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to say, I think that, you know, this, some of this news came when we were doing other things. And I don't know if we gave Diane Neinmeyer a proper send-off in Dubai. I just wanted to say a quick shout-out for her of 
what a legendary coach she was. I got to deal with her and cover her for many, many years, almost 20 years. She would get that Cal team to the Women's College World Series despite having some of the fewest resources in the country. I remember her telling me they were at the Women's College World Series and that spring had had to hang up a shop light from Home Depot in their temporary office and locker room, which was a mobile unit. And so I just think what that woman did with the limited resources she's had needs to be lauded. She should be a Hall of Famer. I just want to say congratulations on retiring. And and Diane Neinmeier, you've been a legend in our game, and we appreciate you. Yeah, I love the fact that Coach Neinmeier, during the Women's College World Series, the one thing she shared with us that she basically had her team really jump on board with was their tough shed. It was, remember, that's where they changed. That's where everything happened, and they embraced it. It was kind of like their blue collar. Hey, we don't have a fancy stadium, but we have this tough shed, and and that signifies who we are as a team. And um, I I love the fact that they all bought in, and they won that national championship. Yeah, just a storied career. And, um, Holly, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because she has done so much for our game that she definitely deserves a lot of kudos. And as good as the Pac-12 has been and is, they get back on top with a national championship. Think of how strong uh, that uh, conference will become when Stanford and Cal get back on track, which I anticipate both will do. Stand up. There you go. <laughs> Stanford University. And we'll still uh, we'll still wait to see now who, who will have an opportunity to move in there at Minnesota, which leads us to our next conversation about the transfer portal. Uh, Emma Burns, the Minnesota catcher, has already announced she's leaving and headed to Syracuse. Uh, Shro, you touched on Molly Jacobson, uh, Ole Miss going to Texas, and Kaylee Horton, I understand, Ole Miss now staying in the league and moving to Auburn. Some other significant names, uh, Danielle Romanello at Florida, Jade Gortarez at ASU, and Jordan Doggett has followed Allison Febri from, uh, out of Georgia and to Oklahoma State. So, uh, not a lot of a lot of big numbers on that uh, transfer portal list, and some more changes will be coming in the off season for sure, ladies. Yeah, I I feel like every single day it changes, and you you never know when these athletes are going to find a home because they might even find a different home in the fall and really mix up things and keep us on our toes. So. Um, I know that it's something that we're all in constant conversation about, sending each other screenshots, like communicating, like, did you see this? I can't believe this. Can't wait to see, like, how it gets mixed up and, and, uh, how, and truly at the end of the day, say at the end of this year, end of 2020, how many athletes change teams with the new rules and just the transfer portal, a, a combination that's kind of scary for the transfer portal. Well, and too young? Did you did you ever watch Star Trek and they had the portal where you would beam me up, Scotty, and it was like this very small <laughs> portal? I think we need a new word. It's going to have to be like the the transfer starcraft or the transfer vessel. It's yeah. becoming so big, but there's not going to be guaranteed money at every school. That's what I think is interesting is you're giving up something you know you have and hopes for something else, but there's a chance. We're only seeing uh, less than 20% of college football players, for example, are getting a new scholarship. So the transfer portal is not always the answer. Yeah, well, and it's going to be interesting roster sizes. I've heard and um, was – was uh, communicating with an assistant coach within the SEC and um, talking about roster size. I think most teams are going to have 28 to 30 players or more now on their rosters 
because of obviously seniors coming back. And, and we were joking about it. We're like, well, are they red shirts? Is everybody a red shirt now? Does everyone have the asterisk? Here, you're a red shirt freshman, a red shirt sophomore. It will be interesting moving forward as announcers. How do we classify these athletes? You know, so it's, it will be interesting. Are they a COVID? Do we have a, a little ask? It set up our best year of softball we've ever seen because it's going to be so competitive to get a starting job with those big oh, rosters. Yeah. Think of how competitive practices will be. And so we might see some of our best softball we've ever seen. Yeah. And, and it's, it's made me chuckle in, in the last uh, several months listening to a lot of the men's basketball coaches, you know, with their woe is me stories about the transfer portal. And I'm like, Walk down the hall, fellas, and talk to your softball coach. Talk to, you know, talk to your volleyball coach. These, these things have been going on for a long time in the women's game where you can transfer and play right away. So, um, there, the softball coaches may be busy chatting with the other coaches in their athletic departments about how to handle these situations. And I, and I know, Jess, you have some strong feelings about, um, you know, student athletes and figuring out, you know, there's a time perhaps to walk away and, and find a, you know, a place where the grass is greener, but there's also a time where you better dig in and, and fight for, for your opportunity where you are. No, I absolutely. And I, I love it. I love the fact that we are going to see this competitive and we're going to see the players that are going to back down. We're going to see the ones that want to give up and transfer or they want to find another spot where they have. I mean, this to me is going to be a time for softball where we're going to see what athletes are really about, what programs are really about, because we have a plethora of talent that is still remaining in that four-year bubble and how are athletes going to react if there's another pitcher that's going to come in and take your spot? Are you going to stay in battle? Are you going to transfer? Are you going to quit? Are you going to graduate? I mean, there's all these different options. And I think we're going to have a lot of different storylines coming into next year. Holly Road, get ready. There's going to be so much. App <laughs> with little pins that I'm going to put yeah. on. Like, oh, 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 everybody's moving so much. Yes. Well, speaking of stories, we, we've got Lisa Fernandez and Stacy Newman still to come on the program. But Holly, where 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 do we stand or where do we sit? I should say, uh, with the Wall Sit Challenge for Alex Wilcox. Well, on Tuesday, the Wall Sit Challenge will happen. Mississippi State softball player Alex Wilcox lost her life after suffering through ovarian cancer, but she was such a huge piece of our softball family and an inspiration to all of us. When she battled through cancer, she would go to chemo treatments and come and play in games. She played in a game for Mississippi State during all of that, got a hit. Um, she also would come and practice, and her wall sit was something that she did. After going through a chemo treatment, the team was running, and then she came in and did a 4-minute and 28-second wall sit. So we will do that today to honor Alex Wilcox and keep her memory alive. So today we wanted to participate in the Wall Sit Challenge to honor Alex Wilcox from Mississippi State who tragically passed away from ovarian cancer. We want to make sure that everyone always remembers Alex's name. So guys, are you up for a four minute and 28 second Wall Sit Challenge? Seven innings podcast crew. Are we ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Four minutes, 28 seconds going on our timer. Ready? Get set. Everybody ready? And... Go. <laughs> Wall set challenge. Here we go. 
to take your mind off the fact that you're... I need a big timer. There's like a song. Where are we at? Are we at a minute? Three minutes left. Three minutes and 15 seconds left, ladies. Let's go. Saturday on EU. Yeah. All um all like old school women's college world series games. All right, ladies, two minutes to go. Two That's minutes this coming Saturday. Saturday. Yep, this coming Saturday. No, but this reminds me of Mendoza. Going down the
Okay, here we go. Ready? Yeah. What's the countdown? Ten. Ten. Nine. Eight. Seven. Six. Five. You, Alex. Two. One. Wow. We're out of contacts, everybody. I've lost that. Yeah. We it up. Yes, we did it. Softball we did football. It. Okay. <laughs> family. I'm sweating. That was, yes, thank you. That was, I have to, is anyone, I, I'm about to cramp. Is <laughs> looking at ball? Is dress, dress is on the ground? <laughs> a little gooey. We lost one. Woman yeah. down. Woman down. Joining us now on the Seven Innings Podcast, Lisa Fernandez, longtime assistant coach of the UCLA Bruins. We'll chat a little bit about uh, being in the dugout, about being out in the bullpen, about being in that coaching box. But we want to go even further back with Lisa the Baller, uh, the national champion with UCLA, the Olympian. And Lisa, I, I know you, you're busy with a lot of different things, and, and I'm not sure if you were following along with the pitchers who rake bracket here on the Seven Innings Podcast. But we determined, this panel of experts, uh, that you are the greatest pitcher who rakes in the history of college softball. So congratulations. Um, As we always do here um, at ESPN, I throw it down to Holly Rowe, who will start the interview, and then we can all jump in. Let's go down now to Hall of Fame Stadium reporter Holly Rowe. Well, Coach Fernandez, Lisa Fernandez, so we had you in a bracket with some of the all-time greats, Lauren Hager, Jenny Finch, um, Megan Langenfeld. It was just this incredible bracket, Michelle Smith, and you came out as the best in collegiate softball history. So congratulations. I know you don't care about that, but um, I think it's really neat that your legacy lives on after these years. Uh, What do you think about being named the very best? It's it's awesome. I mean, when you think about the names that are on that list, um, you know, I, I just love this game. I love to play this game. I remember being uh, a freshman in high school, and I was nominated and received the award for uh, entrance into the Lakewood Hall of Fame as a freshman out of high school. And I remember that there was a lot of, you know, in my mind, pressure of being able to live up to being in the Hall of Fame after, you know, so young with still three more years of, of high school ball left. And you know, that was something that I've always lived with is to want to make sure that I don't disappoint. And so whenever I receive these accolades and these achievements, it just reaffirms that I was able to live up to the expectations. And to me, that's that was important. I wanted to be able to play the game. Obviously, I loved it, but also to be able to uphold the standards of what people expected of me. Lisa, um, we played a lot of years together. And I remember one of the things that always uh, inspired me about you is when you would tell the story of how uh, one of your first pitching coaches basically tried to deter you from pitching because he said you're too small, your hands are too short, all these things. And look, you be <laughs> the best ball player, hitter, pitcher um, uh, that came through the NCAA. C- can you explain a little bit about what that meant to you, to, to how that drove you? Um, because I use you as a perfect example that you don't have to be six foot two to be successful in this game. Blessed, blessed that my mom and my dad were so very supportive. Um, 
you know, I did go to a pitching coach after playing some travel ball and was going to be able to switch teams, uh, went into his cage and, and basically said my arms are too short, you know, didn't have the right build. And I remember my mom, you know, very vividly, obviously. And, and uh, you know, I was kind of crying because obviously I had seen UCLA competing at the College World Series. Uh, I think it was in Nebraska, against Nebraska. And I kind of at that point knew that, man, I wanted to be in the circle. I, I loved being able to contribute. And uh, when he said that, I, I started crying because I thought my dreams were gone. And my mom said, you know, stop crying. <laughs> if you're ever going to let somebody in life tell you what you can or cannot do, you'll never make it. You may have to work harder. You may have to give a little more. Uh, but if you want something bad enough, it'll be well worth it at the end. And, and those are words that I've lived by. I think after that moment, I use anytime someone tells me I can't, I almost use it as a, a motivation to prove that I can. And, and I think that's, you know, there's two different ways that you can look at setbacks. You know, you could either take it to heart and have it discourage you, or you can look to surpass people's expectations. And for me, I guess it's always been a motivator. And, you know, the more someone tells me that I can't do something that, you know, Kirk Walker is a good example of that. I mean, there's countless number of times where he's, Lisa, you can't do that. And I'm like, oh, really? You know, and secretly I'm <laughs> scheming to figure out how I'm going to be able to achieve it. So um, I don't know if that's been something that God has blessed me with or if that's something that I learned at a young age from my parents, but it has definitely helped me throughout my career. And there's been many of times that I've gone back to that story and gone back to that situation when I was winning a gold medal or uh, winning a national championship and thinking, yep, I guess I was too short and, and wasn't able to do this. And so, yeah, I mean, there are, you know, Michelle, there's been a lot of motivators in my in my career that I've been able to use to kind of get me through those workouts when you want to quit and you just look up at that piece of paper on the wall and it gets you to get to the next level. So, yeah, I mean, it's true. It happened. And, uh, you know, things happen for a reason. And God bless it. It allowed me to be able to compete and be great for this country. And Lisa, I mean, I, I can vouch that there's a will that's inside of you. That you can literally, like, will things to happen. There's such a competitiveness and this something that is inside of you. Can you kind of take us inside the mindset of a pitcher who also hits? And, and not just the collegiate level, and you do the Olympics. And then how do you now share that? I mean, we have the Mates Lending Hills, the Rachel Garcias. There's been so many pitchers that hit that comes to UCLA. How do you share that transition between being on the mound to then in the box. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic, right? Because especially when I was developing and, and getting into it, I mean, there were times when I would be on fire on the mound and I would be over at the plate. And I'm like, hmm, what's going on here? And then there were times where I'd be on fire at the plate and I'd be a little, you know, lacking in confidence on the mound. And I have to kind of put that in perspective because obviously there's a mental component and that was probably the, the most difficult thing I had to kind of learn to be able to separate. And, you know, to me, I'm very logical and I have to have rationale for most things that happen in this world. And I tend to look at the positive things in, in order to explain why things happened. And, you know, it got to the point where in order for me to be able to separate the two games, I had to realize, all right, Lisa Fernandez may be facing uh, Lisa Fernandez on the mound, Lisa Fernandez up at the plate. You know, how is this going to happen? Well, number one, thank God I don't have to do that. So that's the, the one positive. And secondly, you know, when I'm on the mound, it's not about being able to um, face myself, but it's being able to focus on attacking hitters. And when I'm at the plate, you know, I look at it and go, well, you're not Lisa Fernandez on the mound, so how am I going to be able to attack you? And so learning how to separate psychologically 
that perspective because obviously as you know you guys as hitters know it doesn't matter who's on the mound when you're feeling it you feel like you can hit anybody but I couldn't allow that mentality to affect me in the circle and and that was probably the biggest thing that I had to make sure I was able to separate was being able to know that all right logically speaking it's a good thing I don't have to face myself and at the same time uh one on the plate or one at the plate and one on the mound and so being able to do that but I also do believe it helped me become better in both situations. You know, when I was at the plate, I think, all right, if I were facing myself, how would I get myself out? Well, I would probably do this, this, and this. Well, guess what? I'm going to work on this, this, and this. So when it comes down to game time, I have no fear. I'm prepared to do what I need to do at the plate. And then vice versa, when I was on the mound, I'd say, all right, if I was facing Lisa Fernandez at the plate, how would she beat me? All right, I better work on a rise ball. I better make sure I have more than two or three pitches that I could throw at any count in any situation so that batters don't have a leg up on me when it comes to situational hitting or advantage counts. So I used it to my advantage, and that to me was the biggest thing is, one, being able to separate, but two, how I can use it to my advantage to be better in both parts of the game. Uh, Lisa, you were so competitive as a player. How have you translated that to your coaching style to be able to get through to athletes and, and coach them and have them become their best? Well, I had a, a long process of development coaching-wise. <laughs> um, you know, probably the, the more difficult years of coaching were when I first transitioned from being a player to being a coach. It's amazing. You know, the information that you have as a player and how you can relay, relay that to your teammates is definitely different than what you can do uh, when you're a coach. And, and I had to learn that. You know, when, when you're in the fire and you can say, hey, you guys, this is what she's throwing. Come on, let's get after it. This is what we're going to do. We're going to look to do this, this, and this. It's different when you're in the when you're in the fire with them, but when you're in the first base coaching box and you're like, "You guys, this is what we're gonna do." They're kind of looking at you like, "Coach, do you really know what's happening?" I mean, you're not in the box. So having to learn that and having to learn how to be able to communicate um, from a different perspective, you know, obviously being able to instill the confidence. You know, there's such a psychological component when it comes to the success of this game. Uh, you know, there's a physicality, of course, that you're always trying to work on. But really being able to free up your athletes to be able to know that, man, it's about the effort that they put forth. It's about the preparation. And, and God willing, if all things are going in the right direction, we'll get success. We can't guarantee success. But what we can guarantee is making sure that we're as best we can be when it comes to the process. And, you know, for me, that was a transition that I had to be able to learn a little bit more about throughout my coaching Um is really the communication with the players once I did retire from softball. And, and I feel like I've progressed, have gotten better at that. Uh, man, I love these kids. And, you know, to really get down there and know it's difficult. It's a difficult game. As you all know, it's a game of failure. And, you know, they need support. You know, no one wants to go up there and strike out. You know, do you think they did that on purpose? <laughs> you know, the worst thing that a pitcher wants to hear, and you know this, is just throw strikes. You want to turn around and go, don't you think I am? You know, it's like there's something going on that is a, is preventing them from being able to execute. And for me, it's it's being able to get to that, you know, to get to the inner core, to help them achieve those levels of success that sometimes they question whether they can do or not. And And that's my favorite part of coaching is to be able to free them up. Lisa, I lived with you through that transition, right? Because my last year at UCLA was oh, still on skate. So, <laughs> okay. But when you're, when you're talking about that, I mean, I can remember having to catch you in bullpens and then our team having bunt challenges and you pitching against us. And we just needed to like lay down 10 bunts in a row. And it was like, Lisa's pitching. We can't even lay down 10 bunts in a row. All we're going to do is run the rest of the practice, right? 
But now talking to the girls on the team this year and in the year, you know, last couple of years, you're a part of this pitching and catching staff. You guys are eating the same. You're working out with them. Like you've, you've figured out how to be a part of that staff, that, that, that little group. So how did you make that transition? And can you let us into kind of some of the secrets of what's going on there at UCLA and why you guys are so great? <laughs> I mean, well, no great I know. <laughs> Said like right a true bro- Just let you us know. in. <laughs> Come on. Oh, no, Jess. Jess is not allowed. No. Jess, oh. kidding. Love you. Yes, exactly. Let's go. Wait a minute. Here we go. <laughs> um, awesome. No, I mean, you know, obviously having kids, you know, Antonio changed my perspective. You know, I... I've grown a lot and I think, um, you know, to be completely transparent and honest, I never understood not having softball be such a big priority of life until I had my children and realized, wow, there's something bigger than softball. And, you know, that was kind of the, and and I know that's probably weird to kind of hear, but it's the truth. You know, I, I live this game because that was my drive and my motivation was I loved it. And when I had Antonio's, when I realized, man, there's, there's other things that are more important and and really being able to kind of have that perspective, you know, they really just don't know. And so for me, I look at these girls, uh, as kind of my kids and, and being able to teach them information that maybe they just don't know and not to assume, not to, um, think that they don't want to, it's really just kind of opening their eyes to a whole new opportunity. And, you know, I get in there with them because I want them to know they can do it. And ultimately, you know, I'm really big when I communicate with them, you know, we're scientists. And if you want to be great, you have to be willing to experiment. And with that, you have to be willing to accept failure and you have to be willing to take risks and you have to be willing to do all those things to push the envelope because each and every one of them have, we've been blessed and why not display those gifts? And in order to do that, let's go out on a limb and it's a free zone. If you're going to chuck it, man, chuck it over. I do it in the bullpen. Like, let's go. Like, Hey, that's our mantra. Like, let's go. It's good. We'll do it now. You know what I mean? And we'll continue to progress. And if we have to adjust, we'll adjust, but it's a free zone for them to be able to experiment, um, to be able to have the freedom to challenge and be able to communicate and understand. Um, and I love to get down there with them, right? Because, you know, I always use the, the, the you know, before anybody, cli- you know, climbed Mount Everest, everybody thought it was impossible. And then one person did, and now you have people doing it all the time. You know, you talk about the four-minute mile. I mean, it took forever for one person to break it. And then within two years, you had three or four other people do it. So you you set your limits, but why? Like, we should be limitless. Like, let's go. Let's figure out what we can do. It's an open door. And, you know, I'd rather you set the bar high. And if you don't accept it or you don't achieve it, man, you got farther than you ever believed you could. And ultimately, that's what I want for them is to be able to truly, when I did the recruiting, each and every one of them was for them to have the best of me, both physically, mentally, um, in total of everything I could provide for them. And I'm willing to do that. And um, that means getting in there with them. And yeah, there are times when they shoot Holly Acevedo lap me on champ camp. You know, Jess, that does not happen. I was mad. Like I was getting ready to go practice 
camp camp, making sure that I could keep up with them. But, you know, it gave me a sense of confidence that they were prepared and it gave them a sense of confidence to know that, man, if my coach at certain age is doing this, like I can too, let's go, you know? So I think it's cool. It's fun. We have good times. I love that pressure of like, I, I'm here at practice and my coach is out working me. I better work harder. That's awesome. Um, my question for you is I have this vivid memory of you at the Women's College World Series and you were working for us on the television broadcast at the same time you were trying to make the Olympic team and you just become a mother. And I remember going into your suite and there were toys and strollers and play pens and you were trying to balance work, Olympics, motherhood all at the same time is how have you learned to balance these roles in your life? Because I think it's a challenge that a lot of female coaches in our profession in softball face. The role of, you know, at UCLA, we profess we can do it all and it takes incredible support. And I think that's probably the most important thing is, you know, having the support from Kelly and away Perez, my head coach from the administration to family uh, you all know Keithy Gina, uh, a very close family friend that travels with me. Uh, you can do it all. I mean, obviously, it takes time management and it takes the ability to know, you know, time and place. Um, but it, it comes with support. And that's probably the most important thing is to be able to have the people around you that truly, truly want to help you achieve goals. And I think I've got a great base with me that really believe in wanting to support the Bruins and to be there because in bigger picture, they want to see the female athletes succeed and, 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 achieve their goals. And Lisa, you, one last question for me is um, you turned that into reality when you went out and found Genevieve Perez, who had become a mother at San Diego State, walked away from softball. How did you find her and give her the opportunity to join UCLA this year? Because that became such a huge success story for you. Genevieve is incredible. You know, just being able to see that she was on a different path. She wanted to be a 911 operator, uh, was able to communicate with her and said, man, this is an opportunity of a lifetime to be able to get your graduate degree. Uh, think about what you can do for your son, Levi, and your family, knowing that you can have this opportunity to walk away with a, uh, a graduate degree from UCLA. Whether you choose to go back and to become a 911 operator, the doors will open. You'll probably start at a higher point um, because you'll have the education to back it. And so sometimes we have to make some sacrifices in the interim, um, but they're well worth it when you think about the bigger picture and what the outcome is. And she's an incredible uh, individual that has been able to also learn how to be able to, um, you know, separate time and place, time and place. For the, for the uninitiated, real quickly, so what is Champ Camp? You, Champ you Camp is just a uh, physical a drill that we go through where basically it's a sequence of, you know, five or six exercises, four exercises that we take the, t the kids through. They try to do them at max effort for a certain duration of time. It could be, um, you know, ball slams to hill sprints to, um, you know, box jumps to rope exercises. And it's really just to kind of push the envelope cardiovascularly to be able to challenge them. I think, you know, a big part of success is being mentally confident about what you're trying to do. And when you have that mental confidence, man, you can achieve so much. And Lisa, one last question for me. Um, maybe advice to young um, high school travel ball pitchers that do rake, that do hit, um, typically first to practice, last to leave. Um, maybe just a little 100%. bit about dedication. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tall task, right? Michelle, you know that, right? You're, you're instrumental in so many different ways. Um, you know, to me, I, I remember, you know, being on the mound and if the team was struggling, you know, I could imagine it's, you know, you would think, God, why aren't people getting hits? And then I would look at myself and go, well, dude, I ain't doing that. So, <laughs> you know, I'm not swinging my stick really well either. As you know, we had 10 inning games where the score would be one to nothing and we'd have like two hits combined. So, um, you know, to me, it's it's being able to separate the two. You do have to have a work ethic about you. There has to be a quality um, over quantity. You don't have the opportunities to uh, just be able to take endless reps, you know, because obviously as a collegiate athlete, you know, time is of the essence. You've got to be able to be a student first, and that means getting all your academics in check and then being the athlete. So time management, huge. Being able to do the work on your own. That's uh, probably going to take some time. I mean, thank God I was blessed with some incredible teammates and Kelly at the time and Kirk Walker who would stay after and, you know, do the circles and throw the BP uh, in order to allow me to be great. And so um, it's really surrounding yourselves with people who can see that vision for you. You know, there's going to be a lot of people that can say, oh, you can't, it's too much. Uh, why are you putting so much effort? Just focus on one. Just be great. Be great at everything that you do and never let anybody hold you back. Awesome. And you got to earn it, right? I mean, I'm not going to say it's going to be a guarantee. You know what I mean? A lot of pitchers can swing their stick. You got to earn your spot in the lineup. You know? Yeah. Uh, I'd I'd love to to end it with both Lisa and Michelle. You know, we're we're in an era where we see a lot of uh, student athletes in all sports. They shy away from the competition. They shy away from hardship. Um, they may not have all the tools to fight through difficult times. And, and I, I, I think you two um, are, are in a unique position in our sport. When we speak of one of you, we often speak of the other. And sort of the ebbs and flows of being opponents, being teammates, both playing the same position, both wanting to excel in the circle and at the plate, and sort of what that relationship is like and why it was so significant for the improvement of both of your games and all of the national teams that you played on together, Lisa. Yeah. I mean, like you said, there, there is a lot of hardship in our game. Um, you know, for me, psychologically, uh, you know, obviously I point to that a lot because I think that's, you know, everybody's got great talent, but what is the differentiator it is your mentality upstairs. And when you talk about hardships, you know, one big thing for me, and I just want to throw it out there is learning how to reframe situations. You know, you always try to reframe a situation so that it, it turns out to be positive in your direction. I, I was fortunate, you know, to have a teammate like Michelle Smith, who, yes, you know, knowing that we did the same thing, that we challenged each other. I think it's, it's imperative that you have people uh, around you that can push you, um, but also that can support you. Uh, and in your endeavors, you are going to fail. If you're not failing, you're not pushing the envelope. And that's probably the biggest message is, is we continue to live in Comfortville. Uh, we're never going to progress to truly reach our potential. And to me, that is, you know, the separator and the difference maker are those that continue to look to evolve. You know, for me, my one of my biggest mantras is to, you know, never be satisfied. And, and when you are satisfied, that might be the time you know, when you might look to retire or, or look to do something else, because you always want to be challenged. And um, that's just something that's always been kind of a mentality for me is to continue to look at, you know, what can I do next? Where can I go next? Because you have to be uh, or have to have something that wants to push you to get up in the morning 
when everything your body wants to say, <laughs> I want to stay in bed a little longer, or I'd rather do this, or I'd rather do that. Uh, motivation is a huge thing, and everybody is motivated differently, and you've got to be able to find that within yourself. And to me, that's where your support staff is huge. And, you know, I'm a big advocate of surrounding yourselves with people who believe in you, and, and sometimes that involves friends, you know, making sure that you surround yourself, because life is too precious. We're all in this age right now where we're up in the unknown when it comes to the things that we're dealing with, and so life is short. Find people that are in your camp that can support you and help you to achieve dreams and goals that maybe you never thought you could. Awesome. Michelle? Yeah, I, I love everything. I mean, I, I kind of takes us to uh, our playing days of uh, listening to you speak, Lisa. <laughs> you're at third base when uh, when I'm in the in the circle or the, we're in the dugout. Rock and fire shooter, let's go! <laughs> Back leg, <laughs> right there with you. Give it to me, baby. Turn the double play. Oh, it's awesome, awesome. Um, I think the thing that um, it is hard for a lot of younger athletes or people don't always realize that positions that Lisa and I were in over our careers is just um, that you can't be afraid of fear of failure. You can't be afraid to go out there, lay it all out on the line um, and be like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to be great. And, and maybe today is, it's not the greatest of the great. I'm, a, I'm coming in a little bit lower than maybe what my expectations are, but you're going to accept it. You're going to learn from it. Like Lisa said, and move on. Um, and always having that target when you have a career that Lisa had or, or the length of the career that, that, um, that I had people like if they strike you out, it's like they won the world series or if uh, they get a hit off you, it's like they won the world series. So learning to, um, to deal with always having that target on your back is tough. I know that those are things that I dealt with and I'm sure Lisa at times you've, you felt that same pressure. And um, I just know that at times being able to look at, um, you know, Lisa at third or Dot at shortstop behind me and just pull strength off of these great individuals that we played with, you know, Stacey Newman, I'm throwing to her. I could go on and on just the great people that surround you. It takes you to that different level and seeing Lisa work hard, you know, motivates everybody else to work hard. And so it was always an honor for me to, to play and to learn from Lisa and all my teammates. But, um, I love the fact that. Uh, even though we, we were the same, I was a lefty, she was a righty. So I felt like together we were like that, that one, two punch for team USA. And it's something I'm very proud of and I'll, I'll never forget. So thank you, Lisa, for yeah. being an awesome teammate. So. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, you talk about wanting to play for each other, you know, my, my whole pre, pre my pre inning ritual of, of, you know, jumping on the mound and, and pointing at each of my teammates and, Jess, you were a part of that. I mean, that was us going to battle together and, and you can't do it alone. You know, as much as I have been able to wreak some pretty impressive awards and have been benefited, you know, benefited individually, there is by far no, no way I could have done it without the incredible teammates that I had. And, I you know, when I was on that mound, whether it was. Of yours, Lise and Smitty, but like you doing that jump thing, like I remember being in left field and this is like, you did it every game and I like couldn't wait for you to point to me. And like, I might <laughs> like, get some more rosin in between. I'm like, did she never get it? It was almost like the game play, like how they do the whole deal and they go around everyone. Like, I just need you to know that from a generation that was younger, that looked up to you, that got your autograph, that idolized you and then to be your teammate. And have you point and be like, I got you. You got me. We're in this together. It just would be like, yeah, like hit the ball again. Here you like, it, it's huge. And I think for pitchers to understand that more importantly than anyone else, because they always have the ball, but that's a huge thing that you just don't see in the game. It feels like everyone's siloed between them. It's like every pitcher is on their own island 
But for them to actually reach out and recognize their teammates is is huge. So I just remember being out there and laughing. I was like, yes, <laughs> with me. Oh, no, and I appreciate that. Just I. I mean, you know how I felt about my team and, and just we were in it together. I mean, we did some crazy things when it came to the things that we, I mean, geez, the Navy SEAL thing, like, holy cow. I mean, we went it, and when you're on that field, you are in it together. And, and that's something that I share with the pitchers at UCLA. We're, we're no different. And that's part of what Champ Camp is. If you're going to expect your teammates to be able to excel, you have to put in the work as well. And it is a team effort. Don't expect anything from your teammates that you're not willing to do yourself. And at the end of the day, if we can get everybody on the same page to get to battle together, holy cow, it's incredible. And, and I loved it. And I, I would keep looking at you until you were ready. So we're not, I'm not throwing that pitch until I have all defenders, catchers, outfielders, infielders, dugout, let's go. We are on the same page getting after this batter together. Let's do this. So appreciate that. Thank you. It means a lot. Hey, well, let me interject one thing real quick. I remember when uh, some of the younger ball players would would come on Team USA and they would maybe not be turning around looking at Lisa. I'd be like, I'd yell out to wherever to center field or right field and be like, Hey, hey, Lisa, Lisa, she's waiting for you. And they'd be like, Oh yeah, okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I thank God for my teammates who could uh, explain some of the craziness that I did. But hopefully, awesome. all my teammates. Are- understood that it was for the benefit of the bigger picture and and we wanted to win and we wanted to represent and so yeah no I appreciate you guys having my back for sure (laughs) Lise can we get you to point at Jess one last time to make her pay for us (laughs) oh yeah yeah no I gotta I gotta make sure I do it the right way let's see Jess I throw the last pitch and then I gotta do my thing (laughs) I gotta wait for Jess I gotta wait for her sometimes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're ready to go and I can lock onto the pitcher. How about that? Is that good? Go. More calories. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. She is the uh, she is the greatest pitching hitter. Pitchers who rake, she wins the bracket of all time. She beat Mel you beat by the way, for bragging rights for you, you beat Mel Dumazich, Nancy Evans, Kaylani Ricketts, Lauren Hager, and uh, Jenny Finch. Uh, so we, wow. we didn't get to see Smitty head to head, but, uh, <laughs> congratulations on that and thanks so much for spending time. You, you know what? You were back in the white ball, 40 foot error, right? Or 40 feet. Oh, yeah. So, you know, remember we used to swing those big old steel bats? I think the lightest we had was like Michelle's a Michelle's got one point. right behind her still. She has it on display behind her. <laughs> Where? Michelle, you have one? Oh, yeah. She has her college bat. Look at that. Oh, my God. What size is it? 32 ounces, 34, 32, a two drop. And here's that one ball. <laughs> oh, my God. I, it, was, um, it was the – I don't even want to – 34, 28 was, like, the lightest they made. I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> Unbelievable. She swung it the other day for us, Lisa. She couldn't even hit the cabinets behind her with a full-on swing <laughs> sitting in her chair. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. And a, a reminder, folks, never live in Comfortville. I love it. It's terrible. Comfort- I love it. Good times. Terrible. Good times. Thank you guys for having me. This is so much fun. Holly, I think that's our least favorite place to visit in all the college towns that we go to. Oh. <laughs> hey, you know who's with us now, folks? Stacy Newman.
Stacy Collegiate Slugger of all time. It's a UCLA sweep today. Welcome to the program, Stacy. Thank you for having me, everybody. And congratulations. Just so you hear. Oh, no. <laughs> no. We're good. We're good. Just so you know, you have bragging rights. Uh, you, your, your bracket, uh, your run to the championship was over Shelby Pendley, Leah Bratz, Sierra Romero, and then Lauren Chamberlain in the final. So kudos on that run for you. And now we will throw it down to Hall of Fame Stadium reporter Holly Rowe. Well, Stacey Newman, Denise, you have been uh, one of the legends of college softball for such a long time. But how did it feel to know that even after all these years, people look back and think you were the greatest hitter we ever saw in the college game? I have to be honest, that that whole, just the bracket and following along with that, and then when it when it actually was announced and I got to hear all of your amazing comments and, and – um, I was overwhelmed. I still kind of am, to be honest with you, because it was just the the amount of love that was just thrown at me. And it was 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago. Um, I really didn't think that it would hold up. I mean, I kind of feel like in today's day and age and the way that these, um, these younger athletes like Lauren Chamberlain are just so ingrained in the softball psyche that I, you know, I was honored to be a part of it with no expectation and um, just, the, uh, I can't, honestly, I, I'm so humbled by the, uh, the way that I'm considered and looked at in history and, and, um, just proud. And, and I, I, I really didn't even have a, uh, a total reaction. I didn't expect it. So it's been phenomenal and a lot of fun to just kind of reminisce some old, old names and old, uh, competitors came out to, you know, congratulate me. And, um, it's been fun to just kind of look back on those years and, and how much the game has changed and grown. I mean, I remember, you know, recently seeing a picture of the, uh, the Hall of Fame stadium now compared to what it looked like back then, right? People used to bring picnic blankets and, you know, bring a, bring a sack lunch. And, you know, now we're talking about all the, the amount of coverage and the excitement of the game and the growth of the game. It's, it's kind of amazing, really, when I think about it, that, that um, my accomplishments held up over time and, are still kind of being honored today. So I was really um, very humbled and, and um, yeah, just pretty overwhelmed with the amount of support and love that I got through that process. So thank you guys. You definitely made an old lady feel relevant. So that was- <laughs> <laughs> um, Stacey, firstly, congratulations. Obviously, you know how great I think you are and how big of a role model that you've been to my life. But there's been a lot of these seven inning people who have had to vote on the panel. And so I've been dying to know would you have voted for yourself? Oh, come on. <laughs> I have to know. <laughs> yes. <Okay. Here's, laughs> short answer is yes. The long answer, no. Um, here, here's what I will say. The one little little element that I really felt like didn't get talked a lot about was the technology difference. Like, mm. I literally was the last, 2002 was my, my senior year, my, my super senior year. And we were swinging titanium bats, which at that time was like the thing, right? That was the, the hot stuff. The, the bat that literally would bend, like it would dent when you hit it too hard, right? Now they break, but back then it was a dented bat. Um, so the way that just the power game especially has like just exploded 
is is awesome. I'm I love it. Believe me, I love the long ball, and I'm all about that. But I think to me, I'm pretty proud that I did it without that technology. Um, and I also was pretty proud of my average, like the fact that I didn't just hit for power. I mean, God knows I did not leg out any infield singles, right? Like <laughs> it, it was going to the grass straight up. Like that was it. It was on the grass where it was not. I was out. So you know, my like I, the average is pretty cool too. I think. Um, as much as the power game, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I was a decent hitter, so I, I probably would have voted for myself. <laughs> I think Lisa is still. <laughs> Do you want to jump in on this conversation? Yeah, and then I'd love to. I, I was uh, fortunate. First of all, Stacy, congratulations! So well deserved. Uh, and you know what? Something that was impressive about you. I, I have a couple good stories because obviously I coached you, but I also played with you. Uh, you know, being an Olympic teammate. So that was an interesting dynamic. Don't be talking about me, Stacy, from my college coaching to playing with you. As an Olympic. Stories. I, got I know you have some inside scoop, but that, you know, that is for different time. Uh, but for right now, talking about you, Stacey, you know, what was so impressive is you did hit it on the nose. Not only did you have power, but man, your consistency was crazy. You had such a high average. Usually it's either one or the other. You're either a, a big power person with a low batting average or you tend to have a higher batting average and aren't able to produce um, with the power numbers. You literally could do it all. And not to mention, you would actually want to throw down that sneaky bunt. Like what power hitter actually has short game? Stacey Newman has short game. She was probably one of our better bunters and could sneaky bunt and would throw that out there every now and then, which was crazy. And then on top of that, one of the things that I thought was most impressive is I keep rambling on, but I didn't remember you had the ability to be able to say, you know what, this pitcher's throwing a lot of change-ups. I'm going to actually sit her change. And you would take the fastball, and the next pitch would be change, and you would go dead center. And I remember you uh, being able to do that. When I was a teammate of yours in the Olympic team, I think we were, I can't remember, but you hit a straight shot center field, and we all went crazy. And you would do that. I mean, you were higher level in your thought process as well. And not only to be able to think it, but then you were actually able to execute it, which is very difficult to do. I personally could never do that. I would just be opposite field hitter. <laughs> I, would, I would go, oh, she's got a good changeup. I better take the fastball opposite field and let me just put the changeup, dunk it into left. No, you decided to take away her best pitch and then go yard on it, which was impressive. So kudos I, I to like you. The speed pitch. That was, well, and I think, too, one thing that um, I don't know that this is necessarily made me better hitter, but – that being able to hit to all fields. Like I really prided myself on the ability to hit to the opposite field with power. Oh. Uh, and I feel like now as a coach in this game, Lisa, you know, like there's not that many hitters that can do that, right? Like pull power is, I mean, not to say that it's not difficult, but pull power is more of a natural, just like it, 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 it fits into the swing, but to be able to have power opposite field is tough. So I really wanted to, you know, like Tony Gwynn, Tony Gwynn was someone that, he wasn't a power hitter, but he was, he was somebody that I looked at as like the ultimate, like covered all the entire field, like foul line to foul line. And that was important that I was able to do that. And I think that just allowed me to handle whatever was being thrown at me, right? Like if they were going to throw me outside, boom, okay, fine. I'll hit it all up. I was, I could handle the inside. In fact, I, I wanted the outside pitch and there aren't that many hitters, especially power hitters that would say that. They want, they come in, get it, bring it into my kitchen, and I'm going to turn on it just slightly. <laughs> That's all about the inside pitch. But, hey, and yeah. Amanda, 
And Michelle, you can attest to that. There, there's nothing worse than facing a batter that has oppo power. Because yeah. now we're like, oh crap! <laughs> and then we try to jam you, and then you you go, you know, then you go double into left center when we try to jam you, and then we throw change, and then you yank that over the left field wall, and it's like, oh man, she got no hole. The only time I could get you out, Stacy, is when I was trying to egg you on here. Try to hit this one out, Stacey. And if I can get you trying to hit it, hit it out, I was like, oh, I got a chance. Okay, no. So you have a funny story that, that brings in Jen Schroeder into this into this conversation. Oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> so um, I think it was 2004, right? We were on the Olympic tour, and we played UCLA at UCLA. Okay? Uh-huh. And Donna Kerr was pitching, okay? Donna Kerr was pitching. Donna Kerr had a, had a dirty, like, she was all jam, right? Jam, 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 jam. Jen Schroeder is back there, just like in my ear, just just in my ear, just going, going, going. And I knew she was going to throw me a screwball. I'm like, damn it, she's going to throw me a screwball. I know it. It came. But she just kept like, <laughs> struck me out, man. I was swinging at stuff. I had no business swinging at. And Jen was totally in my head. Jen was in my head. Jen was in my head, got under my skin, jammed me all day, and I couldn't, I couldn't get my hands out. Oh. I had so much fun that game. <laughs> Casey! <laughs> Come on! Oh, my God. <laughs> is very good at that, though. <laughs> That's Jen Schroeder's Jen specialty. Jen was all up in here, for sure. I know. <laughs> what would she say? Like, what, I mean, what she was talking she was like, like, well, Jen, you know what she would say, but I feel like you didn't say negative things. It was more no. like just, like, aggressive support of your pitcher. Yes. Like, Let's go, Donna. You got her. Bring it inside. Get on her hands. Let's go, Donna. Right at her. Go get her. Everyone knew what was coming. You knew what pitch was coming. So it's almost like a challenge, you know? I did. And that's what pissed me off so much because I knew it was coming and I still couldn't hit it. You let a freshman get in your head like that? I mean, (laughs) we're freshmen at that point. Wow. Uh, hey, Stacy. Speaking of like thinking about knowing what's coming, like you caught, so you had the best view in the entire house at catching your pitchers, but also being able to see the spin of other pitchers. Like, is that a real thing? Like, is that something that you looked for? Is it something that you thought about at the plate? Did you let that help your game, or, or how did it affect you when you were at the plate being a catcher? I think it's um, it's a it's a fine line because definitely. I think a pitcher or a, or a catcher that's that's a hitter, you can you can understand um, setting up batters and and um, strategy, but then it also can maybe work in your disadvantage because you start guessing because you can't like I can't think but I I'm thinking like what I would think or what Lisa would think or what Michelle would think, but that's not what Amanda Scarborough is going to think. That's not what Jen Shorter is going to think. So sometimes if I got in trouble. Sometimes it was because I was, I was thinking with what I would call, and that's not, there's, there's not really a right or wrong answer, right? It's a feel. And, um, and I feel like I had a pretty good feel for that, but sometimes I think, oh, for sure they're going to throw me this. And then they did something totally different and I would swing at a rise ball, you know, up here. So <laughs> it, it, it works both ways. I would say probably more advantage than disadvantage, but I do think sometimes it got, got me guessing and kind of trying to be one step ahead and I ended up being three steps behind. Stacey, <laughs> Stace, we were talking earlier about just, 
you know, having a target on you. And, um, and, and also a little bit about fa- failure, fear, failure. I feel like when someone of your name and, and understanding that your college career was over the span of six years, so there was a legend that was building and coming and, you know, you're breaking the home run record. Everyone knew you. You were the target for every pitcher to get out. I quote Billie Jean King as pressure is a privilege, but you felt it probably more than any hitter of our generation for sure, if not the entire game. How did you handle knowing that sometimes it was about you? And honestly, every pitcher was going to, they struck you out. It made their entire career. One, one really big, um, I think, mental uh, growth area that I had to, I had to go was, and I remember Stu and, and Lisa really, really talking a lot about, that I had to approach every at bat like, like they're going to attack me. They're going to attack me, and I have to make sure that I'm ready for that one pitch that they miss. Because I started, you know, you started getting into this mentality of, oh, they're just going to walk me. And so you kind of get in the box passive, and you sort of think, oh, there's a rough, you know, first base is open, or, you know, you, you kind of play that game of, oh, they're going to pick to me, or they're not going to pick to me, or they're going to walk me, or whatever. It had to be like I had to be on that mental razor edge all the time because if they missed, even if they were intentionally walking me, if they missed, I had the green light to be like, boom, swing at it. And I did plenty of times. I, you know, the catcher standing up with her arm out and I'm hitting the ball to right field because she Yeah, that was against us. I remember that. Go ahead. No, but it, it comes down to not playing that game, right? Not, not assuming any, just, just literally being in there, and if she misses one over the plate that you can hit, it doesn't have to be perfect, but if you can get your bat on it, go for it. So I really tried not to think about that stuff. And, you know, of course, I once in a while, I, you know, I got that sense. But most of the time, I just really tried to stay in the moment and just, hey, if they're going to walk me, fine, I'll take my walk. But if they're going to try to be at me, I don't want to waste a strike or two trying to be passive. I'm going to be ready to go right away. Mm-hmm. By the way, one thing I want to—I believe this statistic is right. In uh, in 264 games at UCLA, pitchers only struck Stacy out 53 times. So that's a, a strikeout wow. every five games. So wow. that was a rarity. That was a rarity. Not many pitchers could Jenny boast Finch, of that. Jenny Finch probably had about 17 of those. Damn! <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> she threw this like rise that would come up and in. Oh my god. <laughs> Best, don't swing at the rise ball. <laughs> lay off the rise. Just lay off the rise. That's got to be Mendoza's biography when she writes it, I think. Well, just you lay off. You can hit it every now and then. That's the problem. <laughs> it's like a chocolate chip cookie. It looks so good, but it's not good for you. <laughs> That's what I tell the Bruins. I'm like, dude, the pitch is a chocolate chip cookie, but it's not good for you. <laughs> So, you know, those of us that were at any kind of USA tryout, right? So you go from teammates to now you're competing against each other. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. When I got to call pitches with Jess batting, oh, (laughs) my shot, baby. (laughs) When she was running, she was a base runner. Dude, I was picking her little butt off all day. I knew her. She was so aggressive. And I'm like. I had like a little, you know, me and whoever was playing second base. I'm like, lovey, lovey, right here. We got her. We got her. Like, <laughs> she's going to take a big lead. And... <laughs> uh, I love it. 
Oh, hey, Jess, though, this song in minutes, though, you look good doing it, girl. <laughs> you were all out. <laughs> Remember that face? <laughs> she did not get cheated. She did not get nope. cheated. Nope. There were no check sings in Mendoza's bag of tricks. No. <laughs> I always thought I could hit it. Always. <laughs> Even after I'd miss it consecutively, I'm like, just pitch it again. Pitch it again. <laughs> Was there ever was there ever a collision at the plate? You know the the famous photo of Mendoza running right over that poor uh, catcher in the Olympics. Did did Mendoza and Newman ever have a moment like that? And who won? <laughs> uh, we I don't think we ever had a collision, but there is a great story if we have time. The yes, the Tariah story. <laughs> we got nothing but time. It's a pandemic. We got nothing but time. Okay, okay. So here's here's I'll try to I'll try to set the stage. USA tryout, it's like a four or five day, right? Those of us that were there, it was a grind, right? Long five day, just insane. The very last competition of the entire tryout, okay? So it used to be like a game that if you were the last battle. It was a game. We played games. It was a game. I know. It was a game. We were losing. (laughs) It was a game at a tryout, okay? It really isn't a game, but it is a game, right? Okay. So Jess is the last battle. Okay, she's the last batter of the entire camp. Raya Flowers is catching. So the, the deal was, if you were the last batter, the joke was like, so you get a hit. Just keep running, right? Just just for fun, like it's the last out, no, whatever. Jess gets up. She gets a hit. So she runs. So she, everyone's like, keep running, Jess, keep running. So she rounds first, goes to second. Well, the, the defense is kind of like, what is she doing? Well, they overthrow second. So now she's like, Oh my God, go to third, go to third. So Jess rounds second and keeps going to third. The team, like the defense is like losing their minds. They're like, what's happening? So they throw the ball home. Tariah has the ball in her glove. She's like, just going to do like a gentle little, Jess blows her up. Oh. We're like, what are you doing? This is just like, what are you doing? We were losing. <laughs> She dropped the ball. She dropped the ball and you won? (laughs) She was actually spiking the ball because it was down. I didn't know how to decipher. Like, it was either you're playing or you're not. And for me, it was like, we were down by one run. (laughs) Jess Jess lost her mind and she totally, like, almost injured Dry. And we were like, and then I felt really bad because Dry didn't move. And I was like, oh, God, (laughs) what have I done? This reminds me of the time we were playing the ESPN um, game in Oklahoma City, which is like a friendly affair with the crew before the day of the championship series starting. And Jessica's at bat, and people are talking you-know-what to her, and she gets competitive. She line drives it back up the middle and breaks Michelle Smith's ankle. Um, Michelle could have barely walked to broadcast the game that night, and it was um, – a crew softball game. Jess <laughs> does not know, like, tone it down. It's like full gas, foot on the gas. Like, Mike, Mike Freud got under her skin, exactly. Everything gets under he her skin. He was like, because I kept flying out to him. So all I was thinking was hit it up the middle, hit it up the middle. Not like hit Smitty, but like the, hit it up the middle mentality. Oh, that was awful, too. Sorry. <laughs> Love you, competitive. You don't live in Comfortville. No way. No, no way. children. My poor children. That's all I have to say. We, they, I don't let them win anything. I'm like, you need to learn. Right? Yeah. 
Stacy and Lisa, is there, you know, through it all, is, is there a moment that stands out for you or one that, you know, you pops into your head every once in a while and puts a smile on your face, a moment, a play? Uh... Yeah, for me, um, you know, one, one of the things that was impressive about Stacy was, you know, obviously offensively, we all know her, but really her defense. And, um, I remember the first time, uh, that I realized Stacy was on to greatness. I don't know if you remember this, Stacy, but we were playing in a national tournament back in the day when we used to play women's open and we had a team called the California commotion and it was a women's open team and Kirk was the coach and we needed a catcher. Stacy was a senior in high school, just graduated and we needed a player for that summer. And they brought in this freshman, this incoming freshman catcher to come catch for us in this major women's national tournament. Now back in the day, Stacy, you know, this, Women's Open was pretty intense for us. Um, we were playing Smitty's was, team. We played Smitty's <laughs> team in the finals. And uh, we were we were in a critical championship game. I think it was Stacy, wasn't it? Like the international tiebreaker, eighth inning, and runner at second base. I throw a drop in that bounces. I don't know, maybe even with the plate. To a right-handed batter, Stacy picks it in all-in-one motion, nails the runner out trying to steal third with no outs, with the winning run or the tying run trying to steal third, and just nails her. I mean, you talk about a gun. I mean, we're talking one six nine to second base. This unbelievable play. I I was like, I just saw greatness right before my eyes, and I and I'm like, this kid. Woo! UCLA, let's go! <laughs> when she was a senior, uh, graduated senior in high school, and that was my first glimpse of the greatness of Stacey Newman. So, Stacey, I, I still remember that play, and, yes, it brings a smile to my face, um, knowing I could throw a drop into a righty, and you can still nail a runner trying to steal third base. Awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. And I want to, I want to echo that, um, uh, as well with what Lisa was saying, just about, you know, we know your hitting prowess and everything that you've done with your power and your average, but it's so easy for catchers to just be like, Oh, I'm just going to be offensive minded. But the fact that you worked as hard on your defense and knowing your pitchers and how to call games, that's what I loved is that you really took it on, um, y- your shoulders to be, a pitcher's catcher and you you made every pitcher that you caught for not good but great and, and I, I mean I cherish my time thrown to you Stacy on the Olympic team and and with Team USA and I, you, know, you you made me uh, a, a way better pitcher so I want to say thank you for that but I'm still I'm just awed by all of your abilities completely on the field thank you I appreciate that well, well this is a know, nice little this is a nice little birthday present for you Stacy really is. <laughs> I know I know this week has been like kind of insane with all the, the you know, love I got and then my birthday and, you know, I get to be with you guys today. It's pretty awesome. One little quick story I want to share too. Like, so as Lisa said, you know, we were, she was my coach and then we go, I, I am still in college and I make the, the national team in 1998 and I'm this total rookie. Right. And as a catcher, it's even more of a, I think a, a tricky spot, right? Because I'm coming in and think about the pitching staff back then. Lisa, Michelle Smith, Lori Harrigan, like some of these vets that are like, they're right. Like they have their way of doing things. And I'm this young little, you know, puppy 
coming in that they're trying to do my job. And not only were Lisa and I teammates, but Ralph Raymond actually roomed us together. So we were roommates. Okay, so I am this like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and now I'm like roommates with Lisa Fernandez. Oh my God, like talk about walking on eggshells, right? Like, am I am I quiet enough? Am I, you know, I'm like, did I, you know, did I stink up the bathroom too bad? You know, I'm like <laughs> worried about all these different things. Well, I remember what that first summer I was catching her, and I don't even remember what game it was or what tournament or anything like that. And she threw a changeup, and and everybody knew Lisa's changeup was devastating. Well, this particular changeup, I don't know if you remember this, Lisa, but she threw it behind the batter. Like, the batter's in the batter's box, and it actually went, like, truly behind the batter. It was so off. Like, just terrible. I don't remember. <laughs> I think you're so fabricating the, next, the story. <laughs> so the next pitch, I call the changeup again. And I'll never forget, like, there was this, like, and I don't know, I felt for me that that gave me a level of respect from Lisa that like that turned it. We're like, okay, she belongs because I was like, let's go right back to that pitch. Like, I know that's not your changeup. Like, boom, we threw the next changeup, struck the girl out or something, you know, whenever successful, but it was just like, there was like a twinkle in her eye where she was like, okay, like this girl's not a total idiot. Like she actually, <laughs> and that gave me a confidence that I needed at that time to feel like I belonged and that I was, worthy of being at that level and it was it was a again a very small moment like a tiny moment in all the years but that was a big moment for me as a as a player I want before we let you guys go oh sorry go ahead no 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 that was cool because those are those are things I mean uh, Amanda and, and Michelle know that. I mean, when you have a catcher that has confidence in you and you mess up a pitch and they go right back at it they're like I know you got better let's go girl <laughs> I mean that's huge Stacey and you're right it was cool before we let you guys go, I know that in our future episodes, we're going to have a bracket of the best pitcher ever in college softball. So I want to put both of you on the spot and each of you tell me who was the best pitcher you ever faced as a hitter. In college? Yes. Honestly, when in my era, Jenny Finch was the best. Jenny Finch was, she had a presence, a confidence. She had a team that just like totally, Arizona was the real deal. And um, I mean, they had some kind of like ungodly, like 60 some odd game winning streak that spanned two seasons. And um, she was, she was definitely my nemesis, which is why it was so cool to have that experience of like really kind of, I mean, I'm not a hateful person, but kind of hated her, right? Like, kind of hated Arizona. And and then, and then we go, we're teammates. And to get to know Jenny Finch, like, if you know her, you love her, right? You just, she is so genuine and real and just, like, amazing human being besides her athletic skills. So to, to sort of see that full circle was, was really, really cool that we went from being total, like, I mean, we have battles, like, I mean, I know it's a team sport, but <laughs> Stacey Newman went head to head. Like it was really felt that way in a lot of ways. And um, she got the better of me and I got the better of her and it went both, it, it bounced back and forth. Um, so it was cool that we got to then play together and now friend, be friends and, and um, go through that process has been really cool. Awesome. Lisa, who was the best pitcher you ever faced? 
God, I, I, it was always funny. My teammates would be like, Oh God, she's terrible. She throws so slow. And I'd look at them like, Oh my God, she seems like she's blowing to me. I, for whatever reason, I felt like everybody was good. Um, I mean, that might've been my underdog mentality that I always felt like, uh, and then I had much respect for the person in the circle, but I would probably say, um, probably Susie Parra was one of the tougher ones. You know, we faced Arizona. We had some, you know, that was during Arizona's time was, was during that 90 period. And so, um, yeah, she was tough. You know, she was tough. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, ladies. This has been a blast and, uh, tremendous insights from the both of you and, uh, best wishes to get through what we're going through as, as safe as we possibly can. And, and we look forward to seeing you guys back out, uh, on the field ASAP. Thank you so much. Love you guys. Yes. Best Bye, guys. Have the best ever. Yes. On behalf of softball fans everywhere, one of our favorite seven innings podcasts of all time. Thanks to Lisa Fernandez and Newman, Stacy Newman, Denise. <laughs>